So I just want to start by talking about how you can lead your child to faith in Christ. And I think this is the perfect uh, topic for us to have tonight because we just spent the month of May talking about tell someone. Who better to tell than your children? And so we want to talk about how do you do that? How do you tell your children? And, and, it, and when I say children, I'm not just talking about, you know, little baby Lily or a four-year-old or an eight-year-old, although that's true. It may be your teenager, but how do you tell someone, especially those that are closest to you, how do you lead your child to Christ? That's what we're going to talk about tonight in the time that we have. Uh, Rob and Deborah Bruce have written a book entitled Becoming Spiritual Soulmates with Your Child, and they began that book with this story, and I quote, On a hot summer night more than 21 years ago at Emory University Hospital in Atlanta, we, are, we were honored with the titles of Mom and Dad. Later that morning, we stood with Deb's father, staring through the newborn nursery window, admiring the newest miracle of God's love and our love. As we joined the ranks of billions of parents before us, uh, this wise gentleman challenged us to accountability, and here's what the father-in-law said. He said, God has blessed you with a perfect child. What becomes of him now depends on you. That statement, I thought, was a great statement. God's blessed you. If he's ever blessed you with a child, he blessed you with that child, and what becomes of that child, in a large part, depends on you. Now, I know they have to make their own decisions, but in a large part, we have an awesome responsibility as parents. There's a, a profound difference between, see if you agree with this, there's a profound difference between being a parent and being a Christian parent. Do you agree with that? There's a profound difference between teaching your kids how to live and teaching your kids how to live for God. There's a profound difference between having a personal faith in God and passing on that faith to your children. Karen Henley put the tremendous responsibility that we have as parents into perspective with these words. She said, Your child's soul is the single most important possession he'll ever have, and his eternal destination is the single most important concern you will ever have for him. Now, how's that for scaring you to death? But it really is true. The most important thing that you have is not your home or your business or your cars or anything like that, or titles or anything. The most important thing that you have are your children. And the most important aspect of those children is this. Where will they spend eternity? And so it's, it's, it's very, very important for us to learn how to pass on our faith to, to those we love the most. Our theme verse for this study tonight is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Would you open God's word with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1? Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Here's what we read. Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says... I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. This is the best description that I know of in the Bible that describes the passing on of your faith from one generation to another and then to another. Now, so answer these questions for me real quickly. How many generations are mentioned in this one verse? Three. 
And notice what was passed down from generation to generation. It wasn't just faith. What kind of faith was it? Sincere faith. That's a very important word. Now, where did Paul say this sincere faith now lives? In Timothy. Don't miss that. What started out, watch this, watch this. What started out with Lois was passed on to Eunice and now lives in Timothy. And I would submit to you that that is the heart's desire of every Christian parent. That you want to be able to pass down your faith to the next generation. I've already decided that if I ever write this book, here's going to be the dedication page. Dedicated to Lily Forrester. And here's what I'm going to say. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lisa, and in your mother Kelly. And I pray one day we'll live in you. See, here's what I want you to understand. What we do as parents, as Christian parents, has the potential to affect not just our lives, it has the potential to affect generations. I want you to understand that. It has the potential to affect generations. You see, if you have a genuine and a sincere faith, it can permeate your home and your to such a degree that your children and your grandchildren will be impacted by it. Let me say that again. If you have a sincere faith, it can so permeate your home that, that your children and your grandchildren may be impacted by it. So here's what I want to talk about in the first part of this study tonight. I want to talk about the building blocks of leading your child to Christ. And there are three. Three building blocks of leading your child to Christ. Now, I hope to talk about a whole lot more than that, but, but this is foundational. Three building blocks of leading your child to Christ, if you're taking notes. Here's the first one. Number one, building block one is this. Start early. Children begin learning about our faith at a very early age. And you need to begin early to initiate that spiritual training in your children's lives so it's a natural part of your relationship with them. And if you're taking notes, make sure you put that. It must be a natural part of your relationship with, with them. It should, not, it should be a natural thing that they see and hear about your faith. Now, if your child is already 8 or 9 or 10, then start now. It's not too late to show them that Jesus has made a difference in your life. But the earlier you start, the better. Now, let me show you this in Scripture. I want you to go to 1 Timothy. You're in 2 Timothy. Go over one book to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And here's what I want you to look for as we read this verse. When did Timothy's mother begin to teach him? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. You read that verse to yourself, and then I want you to answer, when did his mother begin to teach him? Or maybe it's 2 Timothy. Let's try that one. You were looking at this like, I have no idea. Yeah, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. When did his mothers begin to teach him? From infancy. Look what the verse says. 
Well, let me start verse 14. But as for you, talking to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If you mark your Bible, I would mark from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. What do you teach your children if you want to lead them to faith in Christ? You teach them the Word of God. Because it's not just your Word that will change their life, it's the Scripture that will change their life. Now, this verse is very interesting because it says that young Timothy was taught from, from being an infant. And the reason that's important is because a Jewish boy began his formal study of the Old Testament when he was five years old. Apparently, Eunice began teaching Timothy at home even before he reached that age. She didn't wait for him to, to become five years old before he began his scriptural training. She began her, the scriptural training of young Timothy as an infant. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that in school districts all over this country, there are groups lobbying to teach our five and six and seven-year-old their doctrine? And many times their perverted doctrine? And they're demanding the rights to teach perversion to our little kids who are five and six years old. Do you know why they're doing that? Because they understand the value of teaching children at an early age. In those formative years, you know this, in those formative years, children are like a sponge, aren't they? And here's what I want to say to you. Somebody is going to teach your kids in those formative years. And it ought to be you. Somebody's going to teach them something, and it ought to be the Scriptures. And it's not enough to bring them to church and hope their Sunday school teacher will teach them once a week. Now, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to kind of get off on a tangent here and go to preaching for just a second. Some parents want to wait until their child begins to ask questions and show an interest in the things of God. I want to say to you just as as calmly as I can, but as plainly as I can, waiting is simply wasting an opportunity you'll never have again. Paul said that, that Timothy's mother began to teach him the Scriptures from infancy. I'm sure he didn't understand what she was saying. But she heard, or he heard what she was saying. It became a natural part of his life as he was growing up to hear Mama teaching the Scriptures. So there was never a time in Timothy's life where he grew up saying, wait a minute, Mama, I, I, I want to decide if I believe that or not. No, she started before he could probably even say a word. She started teaching him the Word of God. I want to tell you, it breaks my heart when I hear parents say that they don't believe in making their children come to church. They're going to wait until that child gets older and let that child decide whether or not they go to church and go to worship and serve the Lord. But let, may I say to you with a pastor's heart, if you do not plant seeds of faith in the life of your child, you're not creating the spiritual climate necessary to influence your child in matters of faith. You're not, listen, I don't think you're being tolerant. I, I quite frankly think you're being negligent if you allow your child to decide whether or not they're going to go to church as a child. Uh, somebody help me here. You don't let your child decide if they're going to take a bath, do you? 
I mean, maybe occasionally you might, but uh, you, you don't say, well, I'm not going to make him bathe. I'm just going to wait till he's old enough to decide for himself if he wants to take a bath. No, you would, you would be a negligent parent if you did that. You don't let them decide if they're going to go to school. You don't say, well, I'm going to let, wait till he's about 15, let him decide for himself if he's going to go to school. No, you grab him by the ear, you yank him out of bed and tell him to get on that bus and go to school. Why? Because you're the parent. And you know what's best for your child. It's vitally important. You take that same approach with the things of God. I've said it before, and I'll say it one more time for emphasis sake. Waiting is simply wasting opportunities you'll never have again. So start early. Let your kids begin learning about faith at an early age. Now, I see Angie back here. She didn't know I was going to say this, and I hope I don't embarrass her. But, but there's something etched in my mind when I talk about this, and, and, and I just want to tell you about it. Uh, back, how old is, is Jaden, Angie? Huh? How old is he right now? Are you serious? All right. So he's, he's, he's almost 13. Um, when he was five, is that what, what it was? Five weeks. Yeah, five weeks. That sounds better. When he was five weeks old, uh, he had a, a rapid heartbeat. And if, if I remember correctly, he went to MUSC uh, because of that situation. It was a pretty serious situation. And I remember being in the hospital room with Angie and with Jaden. And, and I don't remember where Dave was. He, he must have gone somewhere. To, I don't know where he was at the time. But I was in the hospital room with Angie and with, with little baby Jaden, five weeks old, and I remember it like it was yesterday. She was bending over his crib, singing in his little baby ear, quietly, Amazing Grace. And I stood back, and I just watched that. And I realized that even though he was five weeks old, he was already learning about the faith of his mother. We all need to do that, don't we? We all need to make sure we start early. As early as we can. You say, well, I've already blown it. My child's already eight years old. Well, start now. Start now. Number two, second building block is this. Now, make sure you write this down correctly because you're going to think I said it incorrectly, all right? So make sure you write it down just the way that I say it. Number two, building block number two. Talk about your faith don't just live it. Talk about your faith. Don't just live it. Now, you probably thought I, I said that backwards. You, you probably thought I should have said, live your faith, don't just talk about it. That's not what I said. I want to say it one more time. Talk about your faith. Don't just live it. I'm convinced that many parents make the mistake that just living their faith is sufficient in their home. It's their only duty as parents. But, but I'm convinced that parents who want to pass on their faith to their children have to do more than live it. Now, living it is very important. You've got to be the model. You've got to set the example. Living it is very important. But you also have to talk about God in everyday life. I, I wish I had the time to tell you stories from my own uh, childhood because I, I've got two or three that, that just really stand out in my mind. But, but there were times again and again in my childhood where my mom and dad didn't just live their faith in front of me. They talked to me about God. They talked to me about how God answered prayers. They talked to me about why they tithe. They, they talked to me about 
all, all kinds of aspects of knowing God in church. And they didn't just live out their faith, they talked about it. Again, I think that's scriptural. Would you go to the Old Testament with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6? Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know this passage, many of you do if, you're, if you've read your Bible very much, but it's still a very important passage. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, here's what it says, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now that's the, that's the relationship that you are to have with God, okay? Verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So he's talking to you right now. But now notice what he says. It shouldn't just stay in your heart. Look what he says, verse 7. Impress them on your children. Boy, I would underline that if I were you highlighted. Impress them on your children or your grandchildren. And how do we do that? How do we, how do we impress them on our children? And here's what he says. What's the next, what's the next word? Talk. Oh. Talk about what? Talk about them when you sit at home. These commandments, the word of God. What, wait, 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 wait. What did Eunice teach Timothy from an infant? The scriptures. And what does the Old Testament say we ought to talk about? The scriptures, the commandments. Talk about them, the scriptures, the commandments. Talk about them when you, and he even tells us when to do it. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Kind of covers it all there, doesn't it? Look at these four areas. He talks about when you're rising up, that is when you start your day. You can talk about God. Didn't God give us a beautiful day today? He talks about when you're sitting at home. And that's why we talk about intentional parenting starts at home. When you're sitting at home, uh, rather than rather than just focused on what's on the TV, occasionally maybe you need to be focused on sharing something of your faith, walking along the way, those unplanned events in life. And then he talks about lying down. As you end your day, it's a perfect opportunity for you to talk about the Lord. Somebody said that the two most important gifts to give your child are, are these, good habits and good memories. I want, know, I want you to know something. Talking about God is both. Talking about God is giving them good habits and good memories that will last a lifetime. Now, the third building block is this one. To, uh, review with me. What's the first one? Start early. What's the second one? All right. All right. Talk about your faith. Don't just live it. Now, the third one is going to be just flipping number two, really. The third one is this. Model your, model your faith. Model your faith. Watch what you say and do. Now, let's go back to 2 Timothy 1.5 again. I know we're going back and forth in the Bible. That's good practice for you. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this time we're going to go to, to verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 5. Here's what he says. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. There's an important truth in, the, in this verse I don't want you to miss. Paul spoke about that sincere faith, and the word sincere there means genuine. 
Uh, it's the opposite of the word hypocrite. Tell me what a hypocrite is. What's, what's a hypocrite? A phony. Paul says this, this faith that your grandmother and your mother had was not a phony faith. It's not a put-on faith. It was real. The faith that Lois and Eunice claimed to have, watch this, the faith that they claimed to have publicly, they also had privately. You know why my mom and dad impacted me so much in their walk with God? I can tell you without hesitation, the reason that mom and dad impacted me and their, her, their other two sons, all three of us are preachers, and the reason they impacted us so much is this. I saw them live at home exactly what they taught at church. There was no separation there. There was no difference they were both great teachers. They, they were both gifted Sunday school teachers. And Dad was a deacon and all kinds of other positions. But, but I never saw a difference between the way that they talked and the way that they lived and conducted themselves at church. I never saw a difference in the home. It was the same. It really was the same. They modeled faith. Christian author and speaker Josh McDowell says, You can con a con, you can fool a fool, but you can't kid a kid. If you're a godly person, they'll know it. If you're not a godly person, they'll know it. I have to model my faith to pass it on. Now, there's a great scripture I want you to see. Going to uh, 2 Timothy, go to chapter 3, verse 14. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 14. But you, as for you, I'm sorry, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have known. Let me try to read it again. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. Now, don't miss this. There's a who in this passage that's important. Who does the teaching in this verse? You, he says, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. That is, there is something in your training that you learned, and you not only, not only learned it, you, you became convinced it was true. And, and the reason that you learned it, and the reason you became convinced that it was true, because of the who that taught you. You know who the who is? The, the those that he's talking about? I think it's talking about his mother and his grandmother. Let's read it in that context again. But as for you, verse 13, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those, plural, which would, I think, refer to his mother and grandmother. You know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy not only learned what the Bible says, he also became convinced it was true because of who was teaching him. By the way, there's a word of encouragement here if you're a single parent. Please hear this. If you're, if, if you're a single parent and you think, well, I, you know, I, I have to struggle on my own to do all of this, I want you to know something that it's likely Timothy's father was not a believer. It's very likely that Timothy's mother had to do all the spiritual training. And that's, I have a scriptural basis for that. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. One more time. 
I know we've read it several times, but I want you to see something. Do you see dad listed there anywhere? No. All right, go to Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Does it say he's a believer? No. You see, Timothy didn't have the ideal Christian home. He didn't have a godly dad and a godly mom who worked together to train him in, in who Jesus is. But he had a mom who knew Jesus. And he had a grandmom who knew Jesus. And his father was out of the picture. Whether he later died, divorced, or just didn't care, he wasn't in the picture. But still, Timothy learned the Scriptures from an infant. Don't devalue your role simply because you might be a single parent. Now, yes. No, no. Paul is, if you read that closer, I believe what Paul is talking about, he's referring to Timothy as his own son. That he, he, he kind of raised him in the faith. That he was a, a spiritual mentor to him as a son to a father. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So the big question is this. The one that, that lots of people want to ask is, how do I know if my child is ready to become a Christian? That's what we want to talk about uh, tonight. How, how, what are the signs that a child is ready to receive Christ. That, that's, that's the question everybody wants to ask. Uh, you know, parents come to me all the time and they'll say something like this. Well, she's interested and she knows a lot about how to be saved, but I'm just not sure that she's ready. And so would you talk to her? Would you talk to him? Uh, or the parent comes and says, you know, uh, my son asked me every day about asking Jesus in his heart and he just won't shut up about it. He's about to drive me crazy. He's talking about it all the time. And every Sunday when we go to church, he says, can I go forward today? Can I, or he'll say this, can I get baptized? Right? So, when is a child ready to make a true life-changing commitment to God? Let me give you a little word picture here real quickly. Because that is a difficult thing to discern, isn't it? And I'll be honest with you, it's difficult for a pastor to discern as well. Though you bring your children to us, it's sometimes difficult for us to discern. Have you ever gone to uh, maybe Bob and Lisa's to get a cantaloupe or a watermelon? Anybody ever done that right down the road? All right. I got a question for you. How do you know when the watermelon is ripe? Thump it. Does that work? No. You know what I think that is? I really believe that's just, I'm trying to act like I know what I'm doing. Right? Watermelon, cantaloupe, I just don't understand how, I mean, I pick one up and it's like, sure, that one's a good one, let's try that one. So it's really hard sometimes. Now, sometimes you get it right. You get home, you slice it open and say, man, that is like the perfect watermelon. That's just like the best cantaloupe. Sometimes you get it right and then sometimes it's like, oh, that one wasn't ready. I missed that one. 
That's kind of the way it is when you're talking about how do you know when the child is ready to pray to receive Christ? What are some, it's hard to, to understand, but, but there are some signs we can look for. So let me give you some of those signs to look for when you're asking, how do, we, how do you know that a child is ready? Let me, let me see, I've got, uh, I've got five signs to look for uh, as you're trying to discern if a child is ready to receive Christ. First of all, questions. Questions are a sign that God is at work in their life. Now, that is not a guarantee that they're ready to receive Christ. Just because they've got a lot of questions, just because they're constantly asking you questions, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily ready. Let me ask you a question. Moms, do you remember when you were pregnant? Now, for some of you, that was a long time ago. But do you remember when you were pregnant? Uh, remember when that baby began to kick and he or she was still in the womb? That's similar to the point when a child begins to ask questions about their relationship with God. The, the, initial, or the initial kicking period is kind of kicking in the womb. Or the initial questioning period is kind of like kicking in the womb. You know, when, when a baby begins to kick and you can see it, you can feel it, that doesn't mean the baby's ready. But it does indicate the baby is growing and it's getting ready, doesn't it? So when the child is asking a lot of questions, that's kind of the way it is. It, it might be six weeks or two more years before you give birth. I don't mean literally to the baby, but I mean to your child who comes to faith in Christ. It might be another six weeks. It might be two more years. But their questions are a sign that something is happening. Moms, how many of you went to the hospital at least once and you ended up going back home because it was what they called false labor? You did, Jennifer? You did? All right. All right, so, so you, you know what it's like to go to the hospital and you're excited and the, then the doctor says, I'm, I'm sorry, that's just false labor or that was a gas, you need to go home. You know? Parents, because we're infallible and because we're excitable, parents sometimes confuse false labor and, and because sometimes we've never been through it before, you know, especially your first child. We sometimes confuse false labor and real labor uh, in the birth but we also do that sometimes with our kids when we talk to them about Christ. So let me just say this. When your child starts asking questions about God or salvation or baptism or heaven, don't get nervous, but just enjoy it. Let me say that again. Don't get nervous. Enjoy it. This is a wonderful and fascinating time for your child. Because that little boy or that little girl, they are trying to understand eternal things. They are trying to think in terms of spiritual realities. And rather than getting nervous about, did I say it right? Did I answer it right? Oh, is he ready? Is she ready? Just relax and enjoy listening to them and discussing the things of God with them. That is a powerful and precious thing. When you can discuss the things of God with your children. So use that time to deepen your relationship with your child and help bring them closer to God. Uh, so the, the kick in the womb is a sign of life, not a sign that birth or delivery is imminent. And the same way, when they start asking questions, it's a sign that something's happening, but it's not a sign that, that new birth is imminent. Number two, another sign is this. Does the gospel make sense to them? Does the gospel, does the child understand? Now, I want you to write that down, and then I want you to put your pen down and, and look at me, because I want to tell you something that I think is very, very important. So here's the second thing is, does the gospel make sense, 
or does the child understand? All right? So once you write that down, I want to say something to you that I think is very important. Here's what I want you to hear. Many children can memorize and repeat what they've heard their parents or their children say. They're very good at that. In fact, all you've got to do is come to Bible school next month, and you will watch children learn a program, the, the, the words and the music and the dance moves and all that kind of thing, and they learn it just in, in four or five nights, and it's, it's fascinating, and it's, it's amazing all that they can memorize and repeat just because somebody told it to them. Children can memorize and repeat what they've heard parents say and teachers say, but that doesn't mean they understand it. Just because they know the right answer does not mean they understand it. Neither does it mean that they are personally committed to those truths. All right, so stay with me now. Make sure you stay with me. So how do you know if they understand it? How do you know if they're ready to commit themselves to this spiritual truth? There's a few questions you can ask that, that would help you in this area. So here's some questions I would encourage you to ask. You're trying to discern, do they understand? Does it make sense to them? Here's one question. If a friend of yours wanted to become a Christian, what would you tell him? Just call your child by name. The son, let me ask you a question. If a friend of yours wanted to become a Christian, what would you tell him? And then mom, dad, listen carefully to their answer. Another question that's very similar is this. If, if your friend asked you how you became a Christian, what would you say? So when you ask those kind of questions, the child's going to give you one of two answers. They'll give you an answer that, that sounds like this. Uh, well, you've got to go to church, or you've got to read your Bible, you've got to get baptized, and those kind of answers. And those are all what we would call work answers. Those answers indicate that uh, they really don't understand real repentance. They don't understand faith in Christ. Those are work answers, which would indicate that the child is interested but not ready because they don't understand the gospel yet. But if a child gives you the right answers, please remember that just knowing the answers doesn't mean that they're ready to make the commitment. But with that said, I've got to say one other thing to kind of totally confuse you here. You don't have to wait until the child knows all the answers. How many of you knew all the answers when you came to faith in Christ? Now, even if you came to faith in Christ as an adult, you didn't know all the answers. I mean, I've discipled some adults who is like, well, it's like you're starting over. I mean, this, this guy is clueless, you know? I had one of our church members who came to me years ago, and he said, you know, I got saved as an adult. He said, when I started teaching Sunday school, and, I, and one day we were talking about Daniel in the lion's den in Sunday school. and said, I was teaching that lesson. He said, that's the first time I'd ever heard that story. He's the Sunday school teacher. He'd never heard about Daniel in the lion's den. Here, here's, my, here's my point. It's simply this. You don't have to know it all to know Jesus. Now, let me show you this in Scripture. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 3. 
And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 6. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. He, he said you need to have a, a heart like these, little, like these little children, a heart that's responsive. And so the question you're trying to discern is this, does the gospel make sense? Not do they get it all, not can they explain everything perfectly, but does it make sense at its core to your child? Question number three is you're trying to discern if the child is ready to receive Christ. Question number three that you need to answer is this one. Does the child understand the concept of sin? We've talked about this one recently, so I'm not going to say a whole lot about it, but, but let me just highlight it quickly. Does the child understand the concept of sin? Put a star beside this one and, or, or some kind of a note that this is an essential clue in trying to determine if a child is ready to make a commitment to Christ. It's an essential clue. Many children have an intellectual understanding of the cross. They have an intellectual understanding of why Jesus died on the cross. And, and if you ask them, what did Jesus do on the cross? They might even say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That is a wonderful answer. But do they understand the concept of sin? Art Murphy was visiting with a nine-year-old in his office. Art was a children's pastor in Orlando, First Baptist Orlando. He was visiting with a nine-year-old in his office. He said, during our time together, I asked him if he knew the definition of sin. He said that he did, and he gave me his definition, which was very accurate. Then I asked him, do you sin? And he paused briefly to think about his answer, and he said, I used to, but I gave it up. <laughs> I wish I could do that, don't you? Becoming a Christian is not figuring out what everything means. It is humbly coming, humbly coming before God and asking forgiveness. Do they understand the need to come before God and ask for forgiveness? All right, number four. Looking for signs that the child is ready to receive Christ. Number four is this. Is the child serious about his or her commitment? Sometimes children who are raised in a Christian home especially, they have a willingness to do something like praying a prayer to receive Christ, but they really don't have a sense of real need for it. You know, it's something like, well, well, sure, I'll do that. My brother did it. I probably need to do it. Or I've always wondered what it would feel like to have Jesus in my heart, so I need to do that too. Or uh, I want to get baptized because I saw my, my friend get baptized. But when a child is serious about their commitment to Christ, their attitude should be, I need to do this. I need to do this. There, there's almost an urgency in their spirit. Now again, it may be childlike, but there's an urgency that I, I need to do this. I was saved when I was 11 years old. Mom and dad were worried about me. See, my brother Dave was saved at six years old. My brother Larry was saved at seven years old. And when I hit six and seven, mom and dad had figured that I would follow in their footsteps. And I didn't. When I was six, I was a pagan. When I was seven, I was a pagan. When I was eight, I was as much as a pagan could be going to church every Sunday and Wednesday. 
When I was nine, I still was not saved. When I was ten, I still was not saved. And mom and dad were terrified. They were scared. They, they really were. They told me later, they were really scared because, what's wrong with Keith? You know, why, why, didn't, why, didn't, why hasn't Keith accepted Jesus? I mean, Dave did at six, and Larry did at seven, and we figured at most Keith would wait to eight. You know, it was 11. I'm going to tell you why. It wasn't until age 11 that I realized I need this. If you'd asked me at 6 or 7, would you like to pray to receive Christ? I probably would have said yes, maybe. Although I remember two occasions where my dad asked me if I was ready to receive Christ. And I remember vividly, one at the corner of Broadway in Maine, sitting at a red light. And the second time, at a, he and I were fishing at a lake on the, on the bank. And I remember vividly both times telling my dad, I'm just not ready. Just not ready. That's why they were scared to death. It's like, well, son, your, your, your brother was ready three, four years ago when they were your age. Here's my point. When, it got, when I got to age 11, suddenly I became serious about the things of God. I don't know why. I don't know why it took that long. But at age 11, I suddenly became serious about my faith and my eternal destiny, and my sin. I could have prayed a trite little prayer when I was six, and it never would have changed anything. At age 11, I became convicted of my sin. So I don't, I don't know. That's a whole other lesson. At what age are children accountable? That's a whole other lesson. At what age, you know, this, is, is there an age of accountability? That's a whole other question. But for me, it was 11. For me, it was 11 when it really hit me. And it wasn't just I want to do this, it was I need to do this. Number five. Is the commitment self-made or strongly connected to someone else's decision? And I've alluded to this in, with the number four, but I think it's worthy to have a separate question here. Is the commitment self-made or strongly connected to someone else's decision. What I mean by that is there are two dangers here. A child may decide to become a Christian because he wants to please an important person in his life. He wants to please his grandmother. His grandmother has been pr telling the little boy that she's been praying for him, that he'll pray to receive Christ, that he'll be a Christian, and he wants to please grandma. And so, you know, that's what he does. He prays because grandma wants him to. Or a child may decide to become a Christian because a friend or a sibling or a cousin became a Christian. You know, somebody in their Sunday school class became a Christian. They saw somebody else get baptized. And, and now, now hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. God can use those situations. He can use the prayers of a grandmother. He can use the friends getting saved to influence others. However, you don't want your child to make their decision based solely on what they see someone else do based solely on what others have, have said. You say, well, pastor, and I, and I get this a lot. Pastor, what do I do? What do I do if, if, if little Billy just won't shut up? I mean, he keeps asking over and over and over. I don't know that he's ready. I don't think he's ready. But he keeps asking me, and I don't want to discourage him. What do I do about that? That's a very good question. And here, I think, is a very good answer. You might let little Billy or little Jenny or whoever it is you might let them pray to, and, and say, let's pray that Jesus will make it clear to you what it means to be a Christian. 
You're not praying for them to be saved. It's a, come on, Billy, let's, let's just pray and ask Christ to teach you. Ask Jesus to teach you what it means to be a Christian. That way you're not discouraging them. You're not putting them down. You're not saying you're, you're not old enough. You're not old enough. I, I think that's a wrong way to approach it. Don't ever tell the child, you're just not old enough. You don't know enough. No, no, just, just say, honey, let's just pray. Let's you and I pray. Jesus will teach you what it means to be a Christian. And again, they're not praying to be a Christian. They're praying, Jesus, teach me what that means. I'm going to give you a word picture, and I'll close with this. And I knew I wouldn't get done with everything, but I'm going to give you a good word picture. Uh, Last Saturday, I I performed a wedding. And uh, it was uh, Matt Jones and Casey and... um, Casey was, was, I've just never seen, a, a, or it's been a long time, since I've seen a bride come down the aisle and be so giddy. I mean, she, she was just, she was just kind of bouncing down the aisle towards me. And it's a neat thing to, to, stand in, to stand in front of the bride and the groom and to see what nobody else can see. You know, uh, the audience, all they can see is just the back of everybody's head. And it's just a neat honor and privilege to stand there in front of the bride and groom and just have an up-close picture of what's happening. Well, Casey came down the aisle, and she's just giddy, and she's just, she's just bouncing up and down. And I looked at her daddy. Her daddy was not giddy. You see, Casey is their only child. He was walking down the aisle holding her hand for the last time as her daddy in that relationship. Oh, he's always going to be her daddy, but you know what I'm talking about. And I saw the contrast between the smile on her face and the anguish on his. Dads, you know what this is like. We, we walk... With those kids, we hold their hands for 20, 25 years. And then the moment comes where some preacher says, who gives this woman away? And as dads, we want to say, I'm not giving her away. I want to hang on to her. There ain't no way I'm giving her away. I've, I've invested 25 years of my life. I'm not giving her, and I'm surely not giving her to him. And that's what you want to say, but that's not what you say. What do you say? Her mother and I. And that's what, that's what this guy said. That who gives this woman to this man in marriage? And he said, her mother and I. And then he kissed her on the cheek and hugged her. And then he handed her over to Matt. To Matthew. Handed her over to the man she'll give her life to. Can I say to you, that's kind of your role as a parent. You take them by the hand and you walk them towards God until the day when they can turn loose of your hand and put their hand in His. You walk with them for who knows how many years that is. It might be six years, it might be 11 years, it might be 18 years, but you walk with them hand in hand as you walk them towards God until the day when they can turn loose of your hand. Take hold of his. 
until the day that they understand I am a sinner and he is a savior. He is the savior. And tonight or today, whatever, whenever it is, I place my faith in him. I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I wish we could talk about some other things, but I think at least we've gotten you started in this area of how do you share your faith with your children. And here's the last thing I want to say to you. Do not forget about the power of prayer. See, this really isn't about what you do as a parent as much as it is about what God does in and through you. You're a fallible person and you'll never be a perfect parent, nor will I. But, but the task is not to be a perfect parent. The task is to be a parent who has a priority. And the priority is to share your faith with your children. So don't for, forget about the power of prayer. If your child is not yet a Christian, you should pray for them every day. Pray for their salvation. Pray for the Holy Spirit to bring awareness of their sin. Pray for the Holy Spirit to help them understand the gospel. Pray that the Holy Spirit would bring them to a point that they would trust Christ genuinely as Savior. Won't you pray for them right now? And if your child is already a Christian, it's a good time to pray for them anyway, isn't it? Or pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your grandchildren. Father, you've, you've not given us anything more precious than our children except for our salvation. The precious gift that you've given us, apart from Jesus, are those who need to know him. Those who are our children. I pray that indeed you would help us pass on our faith to the next generation. May the sincere faith that lives in us one day live in them. And I ask that in Christ's name.